I don't know about you, but for me, there have been several times in life when I perceived that someone had wronged me. And they had wronged me enough that I was simply not going to let it go, that I was going to hold on to the power, what I perceived to be the power of of the control that I held by holding, holding tightly, tightly to that thing they had done wrong to me. And in the end, the thing I held tightly to did nothing to them and everything to me. Twisted my insides, twisted my view of the world. I would find myself carrying it, waking up in the middle of the night with the thing bothering me that this person had never apologized and I had never been able to let it go. As if somehow they held the power for whether or not I let it go or not. Letting go is hard work. It's hard to do. Think about it. We grasp onto everything. If you have a really good moment, if you're having a really good time, what do you want to do? Well, just like Peter in the story of the transfiguration, you want to build a little booth. You want to hold it up. You want to set up a pedestal so you don't lose it. And if you're having a really bad moment where somebody has misbehaved, you want to hold on to it so you can kind of rake them over the coals in your mind. You want to hold on and grasp to it because you feel like grasping it gives you some kind of control. If you really look at time, the things that we think we control, we don't. That thing that happened, happened in the past. And the longer I hold on to it, the longer it holds me in the past instead of letting me be right here, right now. That's why I am convinced that Jesus tells this particular story. Uh, uh, why Matthew puts it right here uh, in, in the whole big sweep of things in chapter 18. Today we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, and we're beginning in verse 21. We're going to focus mainly in verses 21 and 22. There's a parable that comes after it, uh, you know, and parables are you know, all open to interpretation. So you can listen to it, read it, think about it for yourself, but I'm going to focus mainly on the first part because for me the first part is what blows me away. So listen to these words that the Gospel of Matthew uh, relates to the Matthean community about the stories of Jesus. Peter, there he is again, that guy, Simon Peter, comes along. In fact, by the time that the gospel is written, he's referred to much more often as Peter than he is as Simon. And it's not because his name had caught on, probably, by the time he was still walking around with Jesus, but by the time that they're writing the gospel down, much later, everybody just called him Rocky. Because that's what his nickname was. That was, if Jesus gives you a nickname, you want to keep that bad boy. So, uh, and that's what Peter means. It's essentially Rocky. Uh, hey, Rocky, how you doing? Uh, and so Peter comes along. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if a brother or sister sins against me, how many times should I forgive? 
as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. It's actually can be translated. The Greek is ambiguous. It could be 70 times seven. A lot, essentially. A lot. <laughs> For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That's an outlandish, it's an outlandish amount of money. I'm, I'm just taking it aside so you know 10,000 talents. We don't, we don't deal in talents. You and I don't deal in talents. But it's like if somebody showed up to you and wanted a balloon payment of 15 years of debt in one payment. 15 years of whatever you earn all at once. Just to show you how big that was, 10,000 talents is more than 10 times what the entire region paid in taxes. The entire region around where Jesus was teaching. So if Jesus is teaching 10,000 talents, everyone knows this is a lot. This is way more than is even realistic. How would you even run up a debt of 10,000 talents? Uh, unless somebody crack-headedly just kept loaning you money. I just can't imagine that you would even get to... It's like, have you ever played that game, spend, you know, uh, Bill Gates' money, and you, you, know, you go on, you try to spend it, and there's so much money that you find out you can't spend it, no matter what you want to buy. You can't fix everything. You can't spend it all, because there's just too much. All right, way too much. All right, got that. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents, way more than imaginable, was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife, children, all his possessions, and payment to be made. Now let's just be straight about something. Even if he was sold into slavery, you, he couldn't pay it back. He could, there, there's no way. You 10,000 talents is just beyond imagination. So, so the slave fell on his knees before him and said, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. Out of mercy for him, the Lord released him and gave him, gave, uh, and forgave him the debt. But that same, that same servant, as he went out, came upon his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Now this is an imaginable amount. This is like three months, three months of salary for a, an average laborer. Uh, and seizing him by the throat, so this is really an intriguing thing, he gets a lot of mercy and then he goes out, grabs the guy by the throat and says, pay what you owe me. The fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Okay, but he refused. He threw him in prison until he would pay his debt. I don't know how you're supposed to pay your debt from prison. I just don't know how you earn any money or do anything, but until you pay your debt. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported their, to their Lord what had taken place. Then the Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy 
on your fellow slave since I had mercy on you. This is the gospel of our Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. Peter has a question. That boy is never afraid to ask. If he has a question, and this is the way it should be with you. If you've got a question of God, you should just say, God, I don't understand how this thing works. I do not get it. So I'm going to pray, and maybe I'll get an answer. Maybe I won't, but I'm going to keep asking this question until I have some sense of satisfaction. God is perfectly fine with your questions. In fact, you can't ask a wrong question of God. I'm convinced of that. Questions lead to deeper relationships. They open doors. So here comes Peter, real name Simon, uh, to talk to Jesus. Jesus, if my brother or sister sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Now the transactional answer, the transactional answer is somebody sins against you. One transaction is let it go. One, one. So Peter thought, you know what? I'm going to show how generous I am. I'll just say seven. I will even multiply one by seven, because seven's a good number. It's a, it's a number of wholeness, completeness. Seven days in a week. Seven days to complete, you know, to complete the building of the world, including a day of rest. Seven. Seven. Seven, good number. I'll say seven. That'll impress Jesus. Seven times. How about if I do it seven times? Do you think that's how many times? The eighth time, boom, I bring the boom down. It's tit for tat after seven. But up to seven, not so much. I'll let them go. And then Jesus says something that's even more outlandish, which is essentially beyond counting. Beyond counting. Beyond counting. And then he tells that story. Beyond counting. Unimaginable debt, you're forgiven. Do the same for others. The truth is, I am convinced that all of the talk about forgiveness that kind of makes it, uh, you know, conditional, I don't think it's really conditional. I don't think that what Jesus, when Jesus says, if you don't forgive somebody, you don't get forgiven. You don't experience forgiveness if you can't forgive somebody else. It's not about you don't get forgiven. It's that you cannot experience forgiveness if, if you can't let go. You can't let go of what you even hold against yourself. You keep throwing it before God. God, please forgive me for this thing. God lets you go. God's hands are just like this. God, probably, God doesn't have hands, but let's just imagine. God's hands are like that. Let him go. This was just like the perfect, you know, every week, uh, underappreciated part of our worship experience is the, uh, the image that is placed behind. We spend Saturday sometimes back and forth debating, no, that image doesn't quite capture it. Do you notice those hands that are open? If you're letting go of something, your hands are open. Now, I want you to try something physical, because forgiveness is not just something you do with your mind, even just with your heart. You do it with your body. You do it with, because the body keeps the score. The body keeps the score. Try clenching your fists and see how it feels. 
clenching. You know, when I'm clenching my fist right now, I'm even, I'm fe- my ankles are clenched. I didn't do that on purpose, but as soon as I started clenching my hands, I can feel my body is tightening up. Let it go. Let it go. Do you feel the difference of the way of being open to that reality? Letting go. Letting go. Clenched up, letting go. The more you can let go, the more you can let go. Now, it seems like I just said, you know, like a Zen Cohen. The more I let go, the more I let go. I'm going to think about that. The truth is, oftentimes, our inability to forgive someone else is our inability to receive forgiveness ourselves. And not only to receive forgiveness ourselves, but to forgive ourselves for our own mistakes. The reason we keep throwing the same things out to God to be forgiven is because we've never let go of them ourselves. We ask God's forgiveness, but we don't forgive ourselves. And so then what happens? We're holding on. And it weighs us down. It's a whole different posture. Clenched, released. Now, you may not believe me, and that's perfectly fine. But I know it's true for my own self. That clenching is a whole different experience for my body than letting go. And it's not just for my body, it's for my spirit. It's for my mind. If I hold tight to something because I'm afraid to let it go, because I don't know what will happen if I let it go, I keep holding on. And instead of trusting, I live out of a place of fear. Despite having asked God to forgive, I've shown I don't really trust God very much. Because God promised if I ask for forgiveness from my heart, God will forgive me. As far as the east is from the west. And if you wonder how far that is, it's infinite. (laughs) It's, It's infinite because you can never get to the west. You can go west, but you can't get to it any more than you can get to the east. You just keep going. Either way, as far as the east is from the west, when you are forgiven, that is what happens for God. But for you, you can't quite believe the good news. You believe that you got to do something to earn it. I can't get your forgiveness right now, God, because I've got to earn it. You have your own ledger sheet. In your mind, you are adding and subtracting. And this is the God of the universe who does not do adding and subtracting. Now listen, if you're wondering if God is capable of doing math, I'm sure God, if God wants to do math, God can do math. But God doesn't do math that way. God isn't sitting somewhere with a tablet marking, oh, look, James messed up again. Oh, there he goes again. Oh, my gosh. This one is getting really heavy on this side. This side over here, really light. I'm waiting for him to do something good. You know, eventually, maybe he can balance it out. God's not looking for balance. When you let go of something, it's just gone. You just let it go. 
Sure, you might remember it, but it no longer has power in your life. It no longer controls the way you see yourself or that you see the other people. You know when you're holding something against somebody or you feel like they might be holding something against you that sometimes you avoid even going near them. Look at them. You look at them. You see them in a room. It's like, oh, I can talk to you. Well, you hope you're not the only two in the room because then you're stuck. But you know, if there's at least one other person in the room, you hope that you get to them first so you can have a conversation and then X is left over there. But the last thing you want to do is see that person because it's weighing on you. And when you see them, all that you feel is all this bile and ugliness come up inside of you. This is why, this is why forgiveness is important. And this is why Jesus like, lays this blanket infinite statement about how it all goes away. This blanket infinite statement. Grace is bigger than you can imagine. This is my biggest problem with God. I, I think God can only be as big as my imagination. Have you ever thought of that about God? Only as big as your own imagination? I, I, I used to think I had a very vivid imagination. But it's not big enough to have God fit in. It is simply not that big. God is bigger than I can imagine bigger than I can think, bigger than I can feel. And until I can learn to recognize that this grace is a free gift, that I can do nothing to earn, but that God will gladly, gladly, with deep joy, give me. When I learn that and learn to trust that, then the way I see myself and the way I see the world is changed. This is part of that whole transformation piece. You know, we don't, we don't sign on the bottom line of becoming followers of Jesus just so that we can check a box to get into heaven. What, what can happen, what does happen, what we hope will happen is that as we give ourselves more and more over to the truth of who God is for us, we are changed from the inside out. We are changed to encounter the world differently. If I have finally forgiven myself for the things God long ago forgive, gave me, then the way I treat the neighbor is not by channeling the pain I'm feeling inside onto them. Richard Rohr, Yes, one of my favorite teachers uh, and mentors says that you can do two things with pain in your life. You can be transformed by the pain and emerge on the other side, or you can transmit the pain to others. Until you learn to forgive and be forgiven, you're going to keep transmitting that pain that you're feeling inside. There's at least two or three things that I bring up with God all the time asking for forgiveness. Things from my childhood. Things from my adolescence. I'm sure God is, if there was an eternal God with head sitting in heaven with a hand. Let's just imagine for a moment because this is how I imagine it. God's like, I let this go a long time ago, James. 
please let it go. And I can just see the sadness in, in God's eyes, whatever the eternal eyes look like. Because God is like, I let this go a long time ago, James. I let this go a long time ago. Please let it go. It is trapping you. It's no longer that you control it. It controls you. You're not holding it and grasping it. It's grasping you and it's squeezing the very life out of you until you can forgive and let go. Let go. Your life can't be new, truly new. James, please, please just let it go. And if you're hearing this message from me, if there's something that you keep revisiting that shames you in your life, that you keep asking for forgiveness for, it's not God who's having trouble forgiving you for it. It's you who's having trouble letting it go. It's you. It all comes back down to you. It all comes back down to me. God unconditionally, infinitely loves you. God so wants to reconcile with you. And for you to feel that reconciliation, not just God to feel it, but for you to feel it, for you to know it. Because if you felt reconciled to God, it would change your whole relationship to every other human being, to the whole world and the universe. That reconciliation would change the way you perceive the world. You would be transformed from the inside out. Forgiveness. Now, the funny thing is, I saw this this morning. Richard, Richard, Richard. Uh, in my email box, you know, this is, I, I get his daily, uh, his daily devotional from the Center for Action and Contemplation. And this morning, he reminded me that forgiveness is letting go of a wished-for past. Forgiveness is letting go of a wished-for past. I wish I hadn't said that. Well, you did. Let it go. You can't unsay it. You can't go back to change that. But you can let it go. And if it's really bothering you, the person you said it to, you can ask them to let it go. Now, you can't control whether they let it go or not. That's up to them. But you can let it go. Because I am convinced he's absolutely right. When I sat, that was like a little light that went off as I was sitting in my chair this morning praying. Wow, forgiveness is letting go of a wished-for past that will never be. That past will not change. But this now can, if we let go. Let go. Letting go is hard to do. But that stance of open hands, letting it go, when you ask for forgiveness, I want to invite you to do something in your own life. When you're sitting alone in prayer, when you ask for forgiveness, maybe you sit in your chair and you sit with your hands like this, or maybe you have them in your lap, but when you ask for forgiveness, lift your hands up like this. God, forgive me. 
I let this go. Forgive me. Isn't that what forgiveness is? It's letting go. Stop wishing for a different past. Let it go. That's forgiveness. It will change your life. Bit by bit, you will find healing, hope, and salvation in doing it. So try it.